You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes 1, 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I thought I would start us off today with a little encouragement here. Now, skipping forward to Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. You may be seated. Good morning. Well, we're glad that you're all here today in person and online. And I want you to put your seatbelts on a little bit because we have these small tasks today of covering Ecclesiastes, Job, part of 1 Kings, and Jonah. So uh, you've got a holiday tomorrow, so if it goes a little long, that's okay. Um, so I wanted to start out talking about something that happened to our family in May. We were fortunate enough to be able to go on a family vacation. Now this family vacation was especially important to us because the kids are in college or going off to college, and so we know that the times where it's just the four of us aren't going to be as many over the next few years, and so we've been really looking forward to just sharing family time. Now, on this trip, one of the favorite things that, I got to, that we got to do was go on a hike along the Nepali coast. Now, on this hike, you can see the picture there. There's ocean on one side, there's mountains on the other side. It is, it is just amazing. And so we're hiking two miles down to a beach. So as you get down to the beach, you cross this stream that's going across uh, right in front of it, get across there, and we have lunch in Hawaii on a beach. Life is good. And then we hear about another hike that goes off from there. It's another two miles. And on that hike, we get to go back and see a waterfall. And we didn't know what the waterfall looked like, but it sounded like a fun hike. So we went and did that. As we're finishing the hike, the valley opens up and it is just this beautiful waterfall coming down. There are, you can see a picture there, and the picture does not do it justice. 300 feet waterfall coming down sheer cliff and rock all around us. There's moss-covered rocks there. The water's on those, so the sun glistens off of it. There's a pool at the bottom of it that we got to swim in. It's freezing cold, but we still had a good time swimming in it. And we got, we got done, and I got out of the, the water. And as we're starting back, I just realized, I think this is the best day of my life. Not just because we are in paradise, but because we're getting to do all of this together. And we're at a time when, when life is changing and there's, there's some uncertainty and we're excited, but a little, we, we just don't know what's ahead. And I just thought to myself, it doesn't get any better than this. I've got everything in the world that I need. I really do have everything. I have an amazing wife. I've got amazing kids. I've got a mom that's still with me. We, we didn't know earlier in the year what was going on with that. She's healed. She's doing really well. I've got a great job. I've got an amazing house. I'm a physical specimen. I've got... 
We're not actually supposed to laugh there. Physical specimen. I've got food to eat, mountains to look at. I serve in the youth ministry, serve in children's ministry. I even got to be Pharaoh at VBS. I have it all. But there's a problem. You see, I am also what we call a darn snarly weasel. Now, you may not have heard those words used together before. I'll say it again, a darn snarly weasel. Now, let's define darn snarly weasel a little bit. A darn snarly weasel is somebody who realizes that they have everything that anybody could ever want. They are living the dream, but yet still grumble, becomes negative, grows weary in doing good, and then becomes self-righteous because of all the good that they're providing to the world. I have a hard time being content sometimes. So that is what a darn snarly weasel is. And when we're, when we're going through life, we do realize the blessings that we have, but sometimes we don't realize how much we are blessed and we don't keep that in perspective. When we read earlier in Ecclesiastes, Solomon had everything that he wanted, but he said, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. So some of the things that he sought after to find fulfillment were wisdom, knowledge, pleasure, laughter, wine, great projects including houses, vineyards, and reservoirs, silver, gold, singers, a harem, work, labor. He sought after all of these things, but yet didn't find fulfillment in any of them. His conclusion was, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is what brings fulfillment and meaning. And it reminds me of all of the sermons that we've heard over the last several months. We keep hearing this recurring theme. I don't know if we always listen to it, but we've heard from Brady, from Gerald, from Todd and Amanda, from Chris and Stacy. We've heard things like, God loves us. We need to stay plugged in. We need to be resilient. We need to be aware of distractions. We need to keep going. Don't lose heart. But that can be hard to do with all of the chaos around us, all of the division that's everywhere that makes us feel disheartened. It makes us feel frustrated and maybe even bitter some of the time. Now, logically we know that when we feel that way, what we should do is we should pray, or maybe we should even journal. We should worship, join a small group. There are a lot of things that we can do, and we may even do all of these things. But the problem is, even when we do that, our brains somehow start spiraling and go into crazy town. And, and we, we don't know why that is, because we know all of these truths, but yet we get off track. One of our biggest mistakes is that we don't realize and know and focus on how much God loves us. We try to do all the things, and those things are good, but all too often we don't let Him change our perspective or our focus. We focus on the little things, the day-to-day -day things, and not on His eternal perspective. Now, we're not alone in all of this. So many of the people that God uses to teach us in His Word lost their perspective of who God is. We see God's direct messengers on fire for Him, doing great things by His power, but then they become disheartened. 
feel alone, maybe even want to die. Now, sometimes we think that people from the Bible are perfect and that will never attain their level of faithfulness, yet over and over, God uses the imperfect to tell his story. So we're going to look at a few of those. Let's start with Job. Job was blessed by God, but then Satan was allowed to take so many things from him, possessions, property, family. Even Job was inflict, uh, afflicted with sores. So we're going to read now in uh, Job 2, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So all of these things had happened to Job, yet Job still kept that perspective and knew that there was both good and bad going to happen until about seven days later. So his friends came along, and they're there. They're sitting with him in the ashes. He's now had seven days with these sores, and he's miserable, and he's hurting. Now, this is, this is the same Job who just a few verses ago said, shall we accept the good and not the bad? Job 3.1 said, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. The same Job. Now, as we go through the rest of Job, I'll summarize a lot of chapters here. He and his friends go through and they, they talk about what's going on. And, and at the end of it, Job ends up justifying himself rather than God. So then God steps in. And God reminds Job of his power and of his presence. Job 38 Verse 2, or verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this who obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Then he goes and tells that he was there. He was there from the beginning. He created the earth and reminded Job of his power. Job then changed his perspective, and then Job was richly blessed after that. Now let's talk about Jonah. Let's talk about another one here. So Jonah was a prophet of God, and he was used to deliver his message. Except for when he heard what he was supposed to do, he ran the other way. And when he ran the other way, then he ended up on a boat. Then after he ended up on the boat, he was thrown over the side of the boat. Then after he was thrown over the side of the boat, he ended up getting swallowed by a great fish. Then he was delivered from the great fish, and finally ended up doing what God wanted him to do in the first place, preached to the town of Nineveh, who was doing a lot of bad things. Job, I mean, I'm sorry, Jonah went in and what every prophet would want is they go into a city and they preach and they'd like the audience to hear and to understand their wisdom and to change their ways and to repent and to start following God, which is exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. It's a prophet's dream, right, for the, the audience to actually listen. But something interesting happened. That wasn't what Jonah thought should happen. You see, he forgot 
the grace and the deliverance from the great fish that God had provided him. And he expected destruction and justice to the town of Nineveh. But that's not what happened. God was compassionate. In, Job 4.1, in Jonah 4.1, it says, But uh, to this Jonah seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to foretell by fleeing Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is grumpy here, right? He's in his own bitterness. It didn't go the way that he wanted to. And we don't know exactly how the book of Jonah ended, but we do know that God was right there with him. Now let's talk about Elijah. Now, Elijah is one of my, my favorite uh, stories in the Bible. If you want to see an example of God's swag, Elijah is the one that you need to look at here. He was so on fire for God, literally, figuratively. He, he, the Israelites were wavering between Baal and God, and he was brought to show who the one true God was. So they set up a challenge. They said, um, let's bring in the prophets of Baal, and we'll set up an altar, and y'all do what you're going to do, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and whichever sacrifice is burned up, that is obviously who the one true God was. Well, they said, yeah, that sounds great. And so the 450 prophets were brought in and they chanted and they hooped and they hollered and nothing was happening. So Elijah, this, this is like such a swag moment here. Elijah came in and he said, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Now, He's taunting them, realize that they don't like him. There are 450 of them. There is one of him, and he is taunting them. He says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and needs to be awakened. One translation even says, maybe he's relieving himself, going to the bathroom. So you should shout louder. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was the custom, until the blood flowed. But nothing happened. So then Elijah knows now it's his turn. So Elijah comes up, calls on the one true God, and fire came down, burned up the altar, burned up the sacrifice. People realized that this was the one true God kneeled down and worshiped God. All the prophets of Baal were killed. This is the ultimate slay. This is, this is God demonstrating his power. Elijah being the one who is saying, I believe in you, God. You are going to do this. And he did. Who could be much higher than that? Well, until just a few verses later. Chapter 19, verses 1 Jezebel hears about this, Ahab's wife. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid. This is the same Elijah. You remember just a few verses ago, fire came down, 
God's the one true God. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Same Elijah. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Now, listen to what the angel said here. The angel did not say, Dude, what is going on? Do you remember the fire that just came down? Do you remember that you called and you said that the prophets of Baal were not the one true, that, that Baal was not the one true God, that I am the one true God? Do you not remember that? No, no, no. That's not what the angel said. The angel said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. He realized that Elijah was weary right there. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put the prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now... They are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And in that whisper, Elijah was being restored. He was being refreshed. And, and God told him what the plan was next and how he was going to be used. Now, Job, Jonah, and Elijah, those stories are very different. But they're also very similar. And I don't want you to miss this point because for a long time I never really put this together. Those stories are similar because all three had different circumstances to where they were down and they were frustrated. But God met each one of them where they needed to be met and how they needed to be met. He met Job and, and had to kind of say, hey, hey, remember, remember, I am actually the one true God who created this world and goes on and on. And, and Job needed that reminder of who God was to then be able to change his perspective. Jonah, we don't know how Jonah ended. We don't know if he ever came out of all of his bitterness and all of his frustration. But we do know 
that God was right there with him, even provided him shade. Jonah was mocking God's compassion and said, that's why I didn't even want to do this in the first place, because I knew that you would be compassionate, and then he had compassion. But don't miss that God was still there right with him, never leaving him. Now, Elijah, we heard how he talked to Elijah. He, didn't, he, he, he gave him great confidence with this fire, but then after he was weary, he met him with food, nourishment, then allowed him to go on a little bit longer. And after he was refreshed, he spoke to him, not by power, but in a whisper. I guess that is power. These guys aren't much different from us. In these examples, we see them experience the amazing power of God, but then seem to forget and focus only on their frustration, their fear, in the situation right in front of them. But even in these moments, maybe especially in those moments, we see God show up and care for and comfort and restore His children if they're willing to let go of their pride and frustration. So often, when things don't go the way that we think that they should go, we get bitter, become frustrated, sometimes even grow weary in doing good, just like these guys. Sometimes we feel like we're the only one trying to follow God, and it just feels so hard sometimes. It's in times like this we need a perspective shift. We need to let go, and we need to stop subconsciously or consciously trying to control or direct the people in the situations around us. We need to remember that God sees things that we don't see. And we need to know and believe and remember that God is God and that He's not limited. He knows what's best for us and He works for the good in us. Now, like I said, on that hike, on that vacation, it was so important to us to be there as a family and just to share this time. And as the kids are going off and, and finding their future, we are so excited for them. But yet we've been spending our whole life raising these kids. It's, it's like, well, okay, what's next for us? What are we going to do next? And we know it's going to be okay. We know God's going to be there. But yet the darn snarly weasel in me starts analyzing, well, I think I did this wrong and I should have done this and I should have pushed harder here or I should have backed off here and, and maybe I exasperated here, but maybe I was too soft here. And you go through this mental spiral of what did I do? And so then I start talking to the kids and I can remember vividly times where we were kind of frustrated with each other as families can get sometimes. And I can remember conversations saying, we're for you not against you. You've got to understand, we love you. We're doing this because we love you. You may not understand exactly what's going on right now, but I promise we're, we're never against you. I, it may seem frustrating right now, but you're going to get through this. You've got to trust us. We've lived life. We understand what's going on. And then I hear a whisper. And I hear a whisper from God saying, Jason, I know you're frustrated. I know you don't know what's next. I know you don't understand exactly how things are going to go. I know you've grown weary sometimes. 
I know that even times you've gotten bitter, but Jason, I'm right here with you. So what do we do with all of that? What do we do with these? We know these things, but, but yet we can't keep our perspective. As cliche as it sounds, we need to let go and we need to let God. I know it's cliche. You've probably seen t-shirts and plaques on people's walls that say let go and let God, but it's that simple. We have to give things to God and we have to trust Him. We have to let Him guide us and direct us, knowing that He's for us, knowing that He loves us, remembering that we are God's children and that He is madly in love with us. Could you imagine the perspective change that that could make on our day-to-day life if we just simply remembered the depth of God's love for us? But we need to do something else. We need to understand what triggers our brain to go to crazy town and get off of that. All the things that we know, that we we hold true, that there is no wavering in, but yet we keep spiraling out. We have to understand what triggers that in our brains. And even that it is happening, and we need to shift our focus to God and remember His love. Remember how much He's for us. Otherwise, we end up like Jonah, continuing to wallow in our own self-righteousness, bitterness, and anger. At the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. We need to rest in that. We need to rest in Him. And that's a day-by-day, minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour discipline. Now, I didn't tell you the end of the story of my perfect day. We're driving home, and we've finished the hike. Donna had recommended a pizza place for us that was not too far from there. Had some great pizza. We're driving home in this cherry red Dodge Charger that somehow we had gotten upgraded to. We're talking about the day and what our favorite moments of the day were. Traffic is kind of busy, and we're at a stop because of traffic, and then wham! we get rear-ended by a huge truck. You can see the picture, it's at night, it's kind of hard to see. We get rear-ended by a huge truck, and so, you know, you're you're startled and everything, and and so I look around and make sure everybody's okay, it looks like we're all going to be okay. Tight road here, so there's really nowhere to pull off, so we kind of go around this roundabout, find a little place to pull off, we're going to exchange insurance information, except for one problem, as we go around about this way, the person that hit us goes around the roundabout this way, far away, and now we realize we've just been involved in a hit and run accident in Kauai. The perfect day is ended by getting rear-ended. So, we call the police. No answer. We don't know exactly what to do. And so we take the, uh, I take Lisa and the kids back to the hotel. I drive the rental car back to the airport where we rented it. Told them what happened. They said, well, did you call the police? And I said, well, yes, I called the police. They, nobody answered. And so they gave me a different number to call the police. And the police came up and <laughs> their attitude was, yeah, this stuff happens all the time. Probably some kid that took his dad's truck and took off, so they weren't too concerned about it. But 
The darn snarly weasel here starts spiraling out of control and starts thinking, no, I just realized that I declined all this supplemental coverage that they try to sell you after you've rented a car. Now I'm not sure if my insurance is going to cover this and I really don't have $10,000 to repair a Dodge Charger that isn't even mine. And I start going down this road to crazy town, right? But something in me, let's call it the Holy Spirit, Something in me just said, no, you're not going to let this ruin your perfect day. This is a great day, and whatever has happened has happened, and we're going to get through it. And we did. We we got through that. The insurance called the next day. Everything's covered. We're good. We enjoyed the rest of the vacation. But the point is that somehow I was able to shift that perspective on God and that everything was going to be okay. And it was. And and even if I did have to pay stuff out of pocket, if it wasn't covered, it was still going to be okay. I know that God's got us. But it was a good example to me of life. I think maybe we've all felt like, maybe I'm the only one. Where you're going along and things are going just like you want to, and then you get rear-ended. And life just doesn't go exactly like you wanted it to, not how you planned it to. So at that point, we've got a choice. We've got a choice. Because I don't know if y'all remember a few years ago when I was talking about, there, there's this um, roaring lion out there, they call it the enemy, uh, Satan. This roaring lion is out there ready to devour us. And what he likes to do is throw little little seeds of uh, bitterness, little seeds of anger and frustration and weariness. He'll do anything he can to get us off track. Now, here's the real thing. I feel like a hypocrite up here talking to all of y'all. I really do. I've said that to Lisa several times this week. How is the person who struggles with this the most supposed to be the one up here teaching everybody else how to not do what he does so easily? Well, I don't know. I'm working on it and here I am and that's that's just what happened. And I know what's going to happen because I have listened to all of these sermons from Chris and Stacy, Gerald, Brady, uh, Amanda, and Todd. We've heard this message over and over and over. But yet we keep going to crazy town. We keep letting our perspective get shifted off of God. And before we know it, we're further and further away in our minds. Does anybody else, is it just me? Does anybody else feel like their minds have been crazy with all the chaos going on? Right. Guess what? There's going to be chaos in this world. That's just where we are right now. There's going to be frustration. There's going to be bitterness. There's going to be all of this. So what do we do with it? Well, we can choose to keep running on that hamster wheel of doing the same things, running, 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 saying, yeah, God, I'm with you. Woo-hoo! Praise you, praise you. But then we keep running. Or we can actually choose to change. Because what's going to happen is you're going you're to leave here and think, oh, that balding man with an unfortunate hairline told us this good message, and I'm really pumped up now, and I'm really on fire But then you're going to go back and do the same things, or maybe that's just me. We have to make a conscious effort to change today. Like, 
We've been hearing messages for months and months, but we hadn't changed, so it's time to change. So change with me. And believe me, when I leave this, Satan's going to come after me and throw some stuff my way. I know it, but we just have to. I think if we know that's happening and we're ready, we're going to be better with dealing with it. Whatever we face as we head out the door, we have to remember God loves us. He doesn't just kind of love us. He loves us so much that he sent his son for us. Think about if you're a parent, think about your kids. If you're a kid, think about your parents. If you don't have either, think about friends who you love and how much they would do anything for you and how much they love you. And just realize that the God that created this universe actually smiles down on you. And he says, Riley, I'm so proud of you. Laura, Peter, I am so proud of you. Doesn't that just change your perspective knowing that God's proud of you? Look, he, he realizes where we are. He understands our frustration. But he doesn't want to leave us in that frustration. He wants us to grow closer. It's time to change, and it's time to do something about it. Let's pray. God, you're amazing. And we don't know how you love such an imperfect creation so much, but we're so thankful that you do. We're thankful that you're gracious with us, you're compassionate. And as we've read today, we know that you're never going to leave us. We know that you love us as our parents love us, as we love our kids. You love us so much more than that. We can't even fathom it. God, help us remember that and help us change today. Help us be aware that the evil one is going to try to get us off track. And even if we do, that you're still right there with us. Help us truly change our perspective so that we can grow closer to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.